from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Chaw. I think living as a trans person, a marginalized and impacted individual, it, it can really skew expectations of what is possible. And I want to know why, what can we do for these people? What is our shared community vision? Now, before we begin our conversation, it is important to be recognized that yesterday, Missouri death row inmate Amber McLaughlin became the first openly transgender person executed in the United States, and that her death by lethal injection was the country's first execution of 2023. We want to acknowledge this upfront. Yes, Amber murdered someone, and it's also true that the state of Missouri took a life as well. The nonprofit organization Metro Trans Umbrella Group, or MTUG, will celebrate its 10-year anniversary this year. In the decade since its founding, MTUG has served as a vital resource and community hub for St. Louis area transgender residents. We'll talk about this later in the show as MTUG also supports those who are trans and in prison. Joining me in studio to talk about the Metro Trans Umbrella Group's continuing and new priorities for supporting transgender folks in the St. Louis region is Michaela Joy Kramer, Interim Executive Director of MTUG. Michaela, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Let's begin with MTUG and what it is. What is Metro Trans Umbrella Group? So um, Metro Trans Umbrella Group, MTUG, we are a nonprofit based in St. Louis, um, operating in South St. Louis and Benton Park West. Um, we're really here to advocate, create power, and create community for transgender people. Um, you know, this is something that means a lot to me as someone who grew up in St. Louis and trans um, to learn that MTUG existed. Uh, shortly after I came out, it's provided so much healing for me and I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do as we go into uh, into the future. Mm-hmm. And this is the 10-year anniversary. Yeah. How did MTUG come to be in 2013? So... Um, our previous executive director and co-founder, Sayer Johnson, um, along with other uh, transmasculine and trans men, started a support group called The Locker Room. Um, and this was simply to give people of shared experience a place to connect. And through that, it, it grew to to include more trans people, non-binary, gender non-conforming, through community support. As we grew, getting a a community center building donated to us led us into a lot of direct services and helping people that are in need, not just from a large-scale advocacy point, but boots on the ground, people who are unhoused and trans or um, you know, hungry. We feed people. We clothe people. Um, we also just give people support, um, an ear, and shared experience to confide in. Mm-hmm. 
how does Metro Trans Umbrella Group's approach to trans community building and service compare with groups in other cities, for example? I think, you know, I can't speak much to what other cities are, are doing, and a lot of that has to do with my connection here to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I think so much of um, what I'm bringing and um, other other staff and board members of the organization are trying to focus on greater St. Louis. The experience as um, someone who grew up here has been trans here and closeted for a long time. Uh, and I think there's a lot of context specific to our local area that um, that we, we consider when we're creating these groups. Um, you know, we do groups in person. Uh, we do uh, Zoom. There is community events that we have, and it's not lost on us that we are trans people living in a state that, um, at least so far, has not shown that they appreciate or value us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big concern when it comes to safety and, you know, the the screening processes that we do for the beginning of a support group or someone entering. And, you know, some of these things can um, be initial friction or barriers for someone getting support, but it's also a, you know, preservation, trying to make sure that we are giving our community safe places that they can be affirmed and validated and, you know, find friends, uh, mm-hmm. find support. And in what ways, speaking to the the local as being the thing that you are focusing on or focused on, um, in terms of those groups, can you provide an example of um, one or two of the groups that have been created to keep pace with the different needs and asks of trans folks here in St. Louis? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first that uh, comes to mind is uh, Cutie Pock that was started shortly after the murder of uh, Mike Brown. And what does Cutie Pock stand for? Uh, queer and trans people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of color. I'm a Filipino uh, from here with um, my mother and grandparents immigrated here. And... I was talking to another Filipino trans woman the other day about, you know, one support group that we go to that is predominantly white. And as beneficial as it is for us to have that space, there are experiences that we have that are hard to relate to or hard to feel safe or comfortable confiding in others who maybe don't have that experience. And Cutie Pock was created for that reason. Mm-hmm. It was to give people a safe place to I mean really when when Mike Brown was murdered that was just tragic and it was a way for us to hold the community and you know, provide some uh, some sanctuary mm-hmm. and that was just a year after MTUG got its start in 2013 yes in 2014 so that the crossing of timing certainly seems to have been uh, fortuitous. Yeah, uh, history keeps happening. Mm-hmm. That is <laughs> quite true. Um, with partnerships and collaborations, this is something that, um, in my experience anyway, St. Louis really prides itself on. How have the partnerships and collaborations that um, have come about through and with um, MTUG 
how does this demonstrate sort of how core values align with with the needs and asks of of queer folks here? So the first that um, I was aware of when I joined Metro Trans Umbrella Group was a partnership with uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, the local affiliate here, we created a program called uh, Transforming Community, Transforming Care that provided uh, informed consent model of trans-affirming care for gender-affirming hormone treatment. You know, there are so many gates and barriers or lack of education in healthcare providers to give competent care. Um, myself and many people that I know have had to educate uh, doctors about mm-hmm. how to take care of us. Uh, and so partnering with Planned Parenthood, we've been able to have an easy access, um, a smooth road for people to um, you know, get their affirming hormone treatment with financial assistance, whether transportation assistance. We do telehealth uh, at, at our community center in South St. Louis. And really, the there's so much discomfort that can come with uh, first starting your transition. And so we created a, a program that tries to hold people as they're going through that and you know, hold their hand and support them along the way. And it's great to hear you're talking about that because Sarah Fenske, our former host here on St. Louis on the Air, had spoken um, with a representative from Planned Parenthood as well as um, from uh, <laughs> MTUG about that. And insofar as uh, things that you all have been doing, Um, You've been in this interim executive director position um, with Metro Trans Umbrella Group since May of 2022, and I believe you recently signed on for another year contract to continue in this interim role. In that time, um, what chief priorities represent a continuation of existing efforts in, in addition to what you've just shared about transforming community and transforming care? Yeah, um, our our mission is to bring community together. You know, that's been that's how I got involved with MTUG. That is how a lot of people interact with MTUG is through community. But something that Sayer Johnson said, and I remember had written on a whiteboard uh, at the file cabinet next and to his Sarah desk. Johnson is- uh, Sarah Johnson is Sarah Johnson is the uh, uh, co-founder and former executive director. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a, a little overlap period there. And he had this uh, whiteboard that was um, building power for trans people. And that that really speaks to me. Um, this is a huge part of what I'm looking to do over the next one, three, five, ten years, you know, as long as they'll have me here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, power for trans people to me is autonomy, equity. It's the ability for us to be represented and be safe. Um, you know, I don't have the same rights here that I do if I go across the river. Mm-hmm. And to be able to partner with other organizations, uh, foundations, uh, volunteers, community members to not just to you know, advocate for our rights and um, and try to create new programs, but listen to the community. You know, we serve so many like thousands of trans people in St. Louis, but 
there are so many other trans people that we don't talk to. Mm -hmm. And I want to know why. What can we do for these people? What is our shared community vision? Because I think that is such a that's such an important part of trying to create a um, a future uh, where voices are represented, where people's perspectives are are honored, and you know, there's there's no reason, especially right now, for me to create strategic plans and move towards the future. I can come up with these things, but if I am not listening to the community, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, are we actually going to be doing things that are helping people, or are we? you know, trying to just start something because it sounds like a good idea. Right. And to that end of arriving at shared vision, what is something that MTUG is uh, is undertaking in in the next you know, year or two to get an understanding of that, of what vision is and what it looks like if it, it is shared? Yeah. Uh, the pandemic really strained our community connection. Um, You know, we've had a lot of events, proms and things in the past over the last 10 years. And the the lockdown pandemic really had us move towards direct services of uh, pantry deliveries um, and helping people from a distance. You know, it seems like we are at a a new stage, new era um, of COVID-19. Uh, we're ready to have our community events again. We are, um, <laughs> we have uh, multiple events planned from the beginning of the year throughout all of 2023. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about the first few because, for example, in January um, on the 28th, we will be having a a name change clinic um, and and brunch because we've done. Um, you know, mutual aid, micro grants for uh, people to get their names changed, help them with the paperwork. Uh, but I think it's important for us to create more of a a space where we're not simply, you know, sharing space and proximity, but we're engaging with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this event will be connecting people, uh, not just together, but learning from them too. You know, what are, you know, you're getting this... Um, uh, this this document notarized and you're getting to eat, but you know, talk to us. What what's going on? What kind of things in your life are are challenges? And so many people that I've talked to who come to the community center or call over the phone. You know, I think I think living as a trans person, a marginalized and impacted individual, it it can really skew expectations of what is possible or what kind of challenges that you may be going through that just feel normal. Um, And I think that's a great place to take a a very brief break and to return to this idea of of names and who you are, um, especially as we're going into the, the new year. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Now back to our conversation with Michaela Joy Kramer of Metro Trends Umbrella Group. Before the break, we were talking about um, names, identity, um, taking on who, who you are, and understanding who you are sort of in the context of a larger community. And from what I understand, one of the things that you all will be doing with Metro Trans Umbrella Group is a localized needs assessment um, that is toward sort of building community. Why is that necessary? I think you said it toward. Like, we need to know what people are experiencing now and what they want to move toward. Um, you know, we talked about uh, the local importance to to learning what what best ways we can serve people. You know, the National Center for Trans Equality does a large survey, um, just wrapped one up recently. While those are extremely needed and helpful, they make such a huge impact on being aware of the trans experience. To be able to do something uh, in this region for greater St. Louis, I think this is where we can where we can identify some of what is different here than in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, learning directly from people who, who've experienced, I mean, it's, it's no secret we have a really segregated city and that makes a huge impact on resources and um, what networks people have, how people can get help. I think that's something that I really struggle with with our organization is how many people don't know that we have these, this support um, you know, I've been in St. Louis my whole life. Uh, MTUG has been here for 10 years, and I learned about MTUG in 2020 for the first time. Mm, and how did that happen? Uh, I came out as trans. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I came out um, a year before that, and having a therapist encouraged me to find community. You know, it's scary to be a newly out person and knowing where to go. You know, I didn't knowingly meet any other trans people until I went to MTUG and went to uh, FemSpec, our trans femme and trans woman support group. And that was intimidating to say because it felt like I was entering a room full of these these women and I didn't know if I belonged. I think that's what is so important about letting people know that we exist and letting people know that we we have value and a need for other people. I think we as people need others and it can be scary to be alone or isolated, um, and we can certainly help with that. Mm-hmm. And what makes this timely? Why is this something that that needs to be done now, this needs assessment? Being in Missouri is a big challenge as a trans person. The last year was really disheartening uh, seeing what what in, uh, Jefferson City, um, what's being proposed, what's being talked about and argued about. Um, you know, I hope that the future looks better for uh, pro-LGBTQ legislation and, and rights, but, you know, when, when our community is under attack, I think this is when we really need to activate and, and be there. Uh, I think that's why this right now is important. I thought 2021 was going to be the worst year for LGBTQ rights. Um, I'm hoping 2023 
makes an improvement from uh, this past year. Mm-hmm. And at the top of the segment, acknowledgement that um, Amber McLaughlin was executed by the state of Missouri. Um, that happened just yesterday evening. And Amber McLaughlin um, was sentenced to capital punishment by a judge for the rape and murder of Beverly Gunther. Amber is someone who transitioned while she was incarcerated. And you came to know Amber in the latter days of her life on death row. How did that connection, uh, how did that come about? So, so uh, there's an organization, MADP, Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Um, one of their board members uh, and Missourian, uh, Kendall Martinez Wright, reached out to our organization, cold called us, just you know, rang our community center phone. And in talking to her, learning about Amber, this is shortly after her execution date was scheduled. And I think it was a surprise to their organization, having known Amber for years. And Kendall was asking for support for Amber, looking for spiritual advisors or community members, people that she could talk to. You know, she's a... Sorry, it's still last night. It's still tough, like to change, to say, you know, Amber was in a men's prison, uh, and the lack of community and people to be able to talk to, um, confide in. Just as talking about these support groups, you know, she didn't have that ability. So, in connecting with her, sending her messages, talking to her on the phone, visiting her. I mean, it it was, I know it was as healing for me as it was for her to be able to meet someone with shared experience. And, uh, you know, I think we all have the experience of being someone you just kind of click with. And I think that's one of the benefits of having uh, a unique trans experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got, I got really close to Amber uh, over the past few months. And yesterday was challenging to put it lightly. Well, and today, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jessica Hicklin knows what it's like to transition as an inmate. Uh, sentenced to life in prison for a murder she committed at 16, Jessica served 26 years before her release last year. And in 2018, she won a landmark transgender rights case against the Missouri Department of Corrections, allowing her and other trans inmates like Amber to access hormone therapy. Last month, she told St. Louis on the air about existing as a trans person in prison. It's very, I don't even know, I don't even know how to begin to explain what it's like to be like a, the only woman in a room full of a thousand men and living there, um, which is, and vice versa, there are trans men in the women's prisons. And um, to be able to navigate both at the same time is a constant stress. It's it's depressing, it's, it's frightening, and for many trans folks, just like folks in the free world, uh, every day is very uncertain. Mm-hmm. You don't know, you don't know, are you gonna face violence from the person you live with or are you gonna face violence from the person who's supposed to protect you? And that is that is a reality in and out of prison and it's a reality in prison as well. And that was Jessica Hicklin speaking about the 
the realities of what trans people deal with when they are incarcerated, whether that is in a men's prison or in a women's prison. Michaela, do Jessica's insights reflect some of the principal whys behind Metro Trans Umbrella Group's plans to support incarcerated trans people in our region moving forward? 100%. Um, I think one of the reasons that even being contacted about Amber was such a, like, of, of course decision to me was because uh, I became friends with Jessica shortly after she was um, released. And in just talking to her about the experiences of, you know, being trans, but the, the limitations or constraints or terror of being an incarcerated trans person, you know, it, it put a lot of things into perspective for me. It was really sobering at how privileged it can be to have the, the hardship of being free than being in prison. So going forward, you know, this is a this is a no-brainer for me. Like, if our if our organization, if MTUG's mission is to bring community together, we need to serve the most impacted people, people who need it the most. Incarcerated individuals that are trans. I mean, unless we're calling them, unless we're uh, reaching out, I think they are invisible to the large population of people. I don't think people know that they need support. And, you know, that's something that has been really rewarding within our, within our organization and talking to other trans people, um, introducing Amber to other trans people. I mean, that was not just, <laughs> Amber was so grateful to meet so many people in just a, a short amount of time. But I know that that connection meant so much to the people out here, the trans people that I think put, um, I think the relation to her really uh, spoke to a lot of people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Jessica is someone who fought from inside and won a case against Missouri Department of Corrections. And today opens a legislative session. Um, are there any, any priorities on that front when it comes to the law for MTUG, um, let's say over the next year? You know, this is, uh, this is where I get into uh, strategy within working in the systems. You know, my, my hope and desire within MTUG is to prioritize the people who are impacted. You know, the, we are here in St. Louis, we're not in Jefferson City. Um, we can do a lot to uh, advocate, to um, you know, to talk about issues that are are currently being proposed or, or possibilities. But you know, I also know from speaking to people within the community, there's so much anxiety that comes with even acknowledging that that our rights and liberties are under attack. So, you know, I think. I think for me, uh, the hope is very simple when it comes to this next legislative session. If status quo 
right now, unfortunately, is a win for us. I would love it if we could put forth more, you know, proactive beneficial policies that help, um, I mean, not just trans individuals, but all LGBTQ individuals uh, in, in Missouri. Um, but I think similar to my conversation before, if, you know, uh, it can be hard to want something when it doesn't seem possible at times. You know, I, I'm so hopeful uh, with organizations like Promo, um, with MADP, that there are people fighting for us uh, within that system too. But I think for, for MTUG, for myself, uh, we really just need to hold the community during it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is pretty prominent on the, the website is that the umbrella of Metro Trans Umbrella Group also, and very intentionally, includes allies of transgender people. Can you share one of the ways that people new to MTUG can get to know your organization and participate in supportive community? Volunteer, please. We will always happily uh, bring volunteers into, uh, <laughs> I mean, to help with the long list of things that uh, our community and organization need. Uh, it's ever growing. But come to our community events. Um, you know, we have some that are specifically for direct community, but others that uh, invite everyone. Um, I think um, we're going to be having a lot more uh, training and advocacy in the St. Louis area over this next year. Um, that's a big part of what I think we can do here uh, with our work to move move minds forward um, is to educate. And to me, the best way to educate people is to give them the direct experience and the human connection to to someone who's not like them. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who love getting their uh, performative ally badge and checkmark. And I think true allyship is, um, to some degree, it's unspoken. It is um, how someone lives their life. And the amount of allies that I've met doing this work, it is is heartwarming, Um, especially having been so, so fearful that you know, I would not be welcome or accepted uh, coming out in my 30s. You know, this, I grew up in the state in this area, and it's so wonderful to feel the, the love and the, I mean, the admiration of, of people who, who aren't like me. Um, and this is very clearly something that, it's a, it's a passion and a commitment for you, and we're really, really grateful that you've come to share that with us. Michaela Joy Kramer is Interim Executive Director of the nonprofit organization Metro Trans Umbrella Group. Thank you for bringing light to MTUG's continuing and new work. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Audio engineering by Alex Hoyer podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. 
Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.